so after my senior year of high school, I had this trip to Hawaii planned, and I may have told you this in a sermon before, uh, but I, we were going on a senior trip, and we were going to spend all of our money that we should have been saving for our college tuitions, and, uh, and we got all our money, and it was like nine friends, and uh, we were planning on going to Hawaii, and, and we ended up going to Hawaii, uh, if you were wondering if that's where the story ended. Uh, God said I couldn't go. No, no, we went to Hawaii, and we had a blast, I will tell you that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I was in a youth group, and they were going to do a trip in southeast San Diego, and uh, they wanted me to go, and my girlfriend, who was also in the youth group, had ex-girlfriend, they had just broken up with me, and I was crushed because she was the only one for me in the whole, you know, three billion women that exist on the planet. She was the only one, and I was like, it's over, life is basically over, I'm going to go to this Hawaii trip and, and forget about all my problems, and I'll come back and uh, forget about everything. And the whole time, they're like, come on, Chad, we want you to go. We really want you to go. We really want you to go. And, and I'm making every excuse possible, right? I mean, like, I don't have the money. And uh, the biggest one, the last, the last excuse I was hanging on to was, well, I'm going to be in Hawaii, and there's, there's no way, like, I can you know, fly there. I won't get back in time. And the bus is leaving a couple of days before. And, and somebody, I think it was John, a guy named John that I didn't even know that well said, look, change your plane ticket, fly into San Diego, and I will come and I will pick you up at the airport and leave what we're doing to pick you up. That's how much we want you to go. And it's like, good night, these people, dirty churches. Um, and, and so I changed my plans and I flew into, uh, I flew home from Hawaii where I was depressed and laid in bed the whole time, it seems like, and wasted a whole week at, at, at Hawaii. My friends will still tell you that I wasted that week in Hawaii and they're still probably mad at me about it. And uh, I flew in to San Diego and got there, and this matters nothing to the story, but it's the one time when uh, they forgot my luggage. They lost my luggage, and as a high school kid wearing the same shirt for three days in a row in Southeast San Diego wasn't very cool. Uh, but that turned out to be the worst part of the trip because uh, almost immediately when I started to re-engage God and focus on something other than the ex-girlfriend, I... Uh, it changed everything. I was starting to find joy. And, and the pinnacle of that trip, uh, I had developed a relationship with these two little boys, Mikey and Marky, as they went by. And it turned out, and I, this is the part of the story I think I've told in sermons before, uh, that, that my background was very, very similar to their background, kind of childhood stuff, which was super weird because they lived in a different side of town than me and so the, the fact that God had like connected our childhoods where the, this kid's looking at me is like that thing you described that's what I that's my life that you're describing what was crazy and intense uh, but the pinnacle of the trip is that they allowed me to give my testimony where we kind of made that connection and Mikey gave his life to Jesus. He became a Christian. He bowed his head. He prayed. He asked Jesus into his heart to say it in the way we say it to young kids. And he became a Christian. I remember getting on the bus and, and Mikey wanted to, to ride the bus back to where we were staying with us because there was this, this intense, like nothing I'd experienced in Hawaii, I could tell you that, uh, and joy, this joy that, that we had and that we shared. And it sparked something in me, frankly. I wanted to lead every person to Jesus because it was 
the greatest feeling that I have ever experienced. It really was. And, and still to this day, there is no greater feeling than leading a person into a relationship with Jesus where they, and this is what I mean by that, where they come to believe that Jesus died for their sins as the savior of the world and that Jesus rose again and, and they come to make him uh, and they choose to make him their Lord and savior. And there is, there is no greater feeling in the entire world. Yet, so there's one experience, right? Mikey and Marky and, and, uh, and Mikey's trip to salvation and, and how God worked. Uh, more recently, I had an altogether different experience where I shared my faith, the Christian faith, with somebody, uh, and it was terrible. I, I was driving, and there was a neighbor, um, and and God put it as a neighbor that I've known, and it, it was God just, as I'm driving, I just, it was night, and it was late, and he was walking his dog, and, and it just seemed like God maybe was kind of telling me that I should just go talk to him about Christianity, and I'm like, I just pushed it down, and pushed it down, and pushed it down, and drove right off, like done. So then, Every time I'm by this person's house, I feel like something is wrong. And so I like I was supposed to talk to them about Jesus and I didn't. And now they're going to go to hell and it's my fault and I'm stressed out. So every time I'd be by the house, like, should I knock? No, I shouldn't knock. They're doing things. So finally, I see this person out on, on the street walking their dog again, I think. And and, and I, I'm like, I got to do this. I have to do this job. You know, I, I should have done it months ago and here I am and I'm going to do it. So I walk up to this man and I'm like, hey, Jesus, yeah, I'm Christian. You knew that, but you should be kind of, and God might have told me to tell you that. I'd see you later. It was like that, like really bad, like the worst present. I mean, I was a little, uh, a little more articulate than that right there, but it was like this thing that I was just trying to get done with. Like, I don't really know you that well, and it's not really my situation, and I prefer to be on a stage telling you that you should accept Jesus than standing in front of you telling you, I'll just be honest, and I, Paul says something to that effect about his writing in the Bible, and, and I feel that. Like, I, I'm much more bold when I'm up here than when I'm like, yeah. So then he just, we just looked at each other. Okay, all right. Um, and, I, and I went on my way and it was done. And I can tell you that leading Mikey to Jesus was super enjoyable, but the conversation with the neighbor was every reason that you don't talk to people about Jesus. Like it's everything that you fear. Like what if I don't have the words and you know, what if I don't, I just mess up and I did. I mean, if you could mess up talking about Jesus, I frankly messed it up altogether. Uh, and it was really bad. And, and here's this other thing. I remember in college that there was this speaker and the speaker was like, talking about how, I don't think it was him, uh, but he was talking about how he had this friend who was great with evangelism, and, and he said like this, it was either a story or a joke or something, but he gave the idea that this person was on an elevator, and it wasn't just like, and he got to the top and he became a Christian, it was like, no, he's on an elevator with the person, and he turns and he tells him about Jesus, and they become a Christian, and, 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 even in the moment, you know, when they're telling this story, it's like welling up inside of me this level of fear, like, oh man, I'm never getting in an elevator again because now there's this newfound responsibility that I didn't have before and it just stresses me out and I don't want to do that. Uh, 
And then this is the story that people always tell in books and in sermons when they're telling you how great they are leading people to Jesus. Always with the airplane. Like they're on the airplane and they start to talk to somebody about Jesus and, and by the end of the trip, you know, and they're only flying to Sacramento or whatever, these other people are Christians and their lives are changed and it's incredible. And, and again, it's like for me, that is, that is like, I'll just be honest. I just want to sleep on an airplane, you know? I don't want the added responsibility of, of telling somebody about Jesus. I would much rather stand on a stage and tell people about Jesus. That's just how I'm built uh, than, than to talk to them in and, and, and person. And there's a reason, I think. There's a lot of reasons. It's fear. Fear is the only real reason. I'll just be totally honest and totally frank. It's simply fear. But there are a bunch of things that I think I fear. Like, I fear looking like an idiot. I have a tendency to want people to like me, as I think most human beings do. But I also have a tendency that, that it probably goes beyond most people, where I want to be seen as successful. Uh, it's just one of those, if you know, psychoanalyzing myself through the years because I've had enough counseling courses. I want to be seen as successful. I want to be seen as good at things. That drives me. Uh, and for better or for worse, that drives me. I want to be. And, and so there's this fear, like if, I, if I'm in front of you and I'm not very good at this, which I'm not very good at it. I just told you that story and it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Then they're going to not like me or they're going to be like, man, he was bad at that or, or whatever. And, and so part of it in me and maybe for you too, I don't know, it is simply like that fear of, of what the other person will think. Uh, there's another fear that I know this from other people. This isn't in me as much because I, I've, I, I have so much education in the area of Christianity, uh, that there's this fear that uh, for a lot of people that I know, like, I won't know what to say to the other person. And so it's fine to go like, hey, I'm a Christian, you should be one too. And then they're like, well, what is sin? You know, and then you're like, I don't know, what is sin, you know, and I don't have a verse for that, and, and you don't believe in the Bible anyway, and so what do I do with this? And so there's this other fear that a lot of people have, like, uh, that's just basically I won't know what to say. I don't know how to answer their questions. And I don't think for, for most people who are Christians that they don't know what to say the first sentence, you know, it's that they don't know what to say when the follow-up questions come. If the person doesn't just accept Jesus by the fourth floor, you know, then, then it's like that conversation's getting too long and, and, and I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, and then there's this other fear that I think we experience. And uh, the fear was illustrated just this last week. We sponsored the Easter egg hunt here in Villebois, and, and somebody asked, not in a mean way at all, the question like, well, if they're sponsoring, why do I have to bring eggs? And uh, just a simple question. It wasn't, it wasn't no malicious intent at all. There's a church-going person, and people were saying, well, we need extra eggs or whatever. And, and then underneath, um, immediately, and a guy said, well, they'll proselytize for free. Now, proselytize in its purest form just means they'll convert you for free. They will convert you for free. Uh, but, but its purest sense, that, that simple word, is not usually and probably not how this guy meant it. Usually they mean something like forcing their religion down your throat. You've, you've heard it said like that. And so when I, the word, you know, the word in its most basic form, I wanted to respond to the guy. I thought of this later. I talked to Brandon about it. Like, 
yeah, we will, you know, like, but I knew that he wasn't just an innocent man saying, that church will, will lead you to Jesus for free. I mean, that's incredible. It, it was far more malicious than that. And actually, a few years ago, uh, when Pope Francis was a fairly new pope, he made some waves uh, because he, he said that we shouldn't proselytize people. And like, wait, we shouldn't convert people? And uh, I, I read an article this week that actually explained him. And, and this is kind of what they said about proselytizing and the way that it's used in contemporary culture. Proselytizing is marked by those who try to convert others through fear, malice, manipulation, deception, threat, or bribery. It does not respect religious freedom or human dignity. And one of our fears, especially in kind of the current culture of America and the way that, that we believe about beliefs, if you will, is that if I tell somebody what I think about Christianity and I proclaim the gospel to them, then I am going to be seen as somebody that is just continuing uh, a line of, of malicious, evil behavior where I'm trying to force my religion down somebody else's throat. Uh, I'm going to be seen as somebody that's like ISIS, you know? I mean, just, uh, well, I'm going to behead you if you don't do what I say. I'm going to be seen in the same type of camp as, as people that I don't want to be seen as. And, and inevitably, you know, people will say, well, the Crusades, you know? And, that, and that's like, that's our big thing as Christians. It, like, well, we don't want to be connected to the Crusades, and so we won't tell anybody at all about Jesus. And so here's, here's what's happening in this series, um, is that we're going to see in just a few minutes that it is our job to tell people about Jesus, to proclaim the gospel story, even if we have all of those fears. But what also is going to happen in this series is that I think as we actually look at what the Bible says about proselytizing people in the truest sense, about leading people to Jesus, about proclaiming the good news of the gospel that Jesus died for sins and rose again and conquered death and now we have incredible joy that, that fills every area of our lives. As we really look at what the Bible says, what I think is gonna happen is that we'll have a few more tools on how to make it happen, not just walking up to a guy on the street and kind of babbling on until you feel like you did your job job, but some tools to actually go, oh, this, this is what God wants me to do. This is what it looks like. This is how I can actually engage in a conversation with another person about Jesus that isn't a Christian. And I also think that it's going to help calm some of our fears. I won't say your fears because I have them too. I, I think that as we look at what the Bible says about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, I, I think that we're going to see that, that maybe kind of what we have in our, our, our minds, kind of the history that we have with this idea of evangelism, uh, this, this, this no, these notions that have been kind of pushed down through the ages maybe aren't coming from the Bible. They're just coming from tradition. Let me stop here and say this. Uh, we as Christians do have a long history of, of evangelism. And oftentimes when the subject comes up, if you're like me and you've grown up in a church, I'll start there, uh, we have these ideas. Like what I think of as, as real evangelism is I have to do something super 
horrible in my mind, like walk up to a door, knock on it, they open and they say, let me tell you about Jesus, you know, and that freaks me out like almost nothing else. Uh, we also have this idea, and this has been kind of passed down if you've grown up in the church, of passing out tracts. Who, who knows what a tract is? T-R-A-C-T, good, yeah, so some of you have grown up in the church, and, and it's like we hand these things to people with their Halloween candy, and it's like, read this and become a Christian, and the Bible doesn't talk about knocking on doors and it doesn't talk about handing out tracts. And so I think that some of our, our preconceived notions will be, will be taken down. Now, if you're not a Christian, you've shown up here today, you might be going, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> you're gonna talk about for seven weeks the very reason I didn't wanna come here this morning anyway, you know? I mean, this is, this is why I wasn't going to get out of bed. And, and here's, here's what I want you uh, to know and that you should keep coming back and, and you should not shut off yet because of a couple of things. First, I hope, I believe, that you will see the heart behind why we feel and have a need to share the gospel with you and other people who believe like you. We sometimes come across like we just hate your guts and we want you to look just like us frankly. Uh, but that's not the heart. That's not why we pray for you. That's not why we want to have conversations about Jesus with you. And in fact, as you can already tell, it's not that fun all the time. It's not like something I wake up and like, oh man, I, I really long to sit down in front of somebody and tell them about Jesus today. I, I long to see you accept Jesus, but that's not about me. That's about you and my love for you. And uh, and so I think you'll see the heart behind it. And then, and then you'll also see this and, and you'll like this part. Uh, and that's that sometimes we just do it all kinds of wrong. Especially, you know who especially seems to do it wrong? The people who get famous on TV. The people that, that get famous, not like televangelists, that's a different subject for a different day, but like the people that get on the news for trying to convert people to Christianity, those are the people that are probably doing it wrong. And so if you'll just kind of hang out with us for about seven weeks, the sermon series is five weeks, but our Bible study will last seven. If you'll just hang out with us, then I think you'll see our heart, but you'll also see that we're maybe doing it wrong, but a lot of us aren't doing it wrong because we're mean or we're jerks. We're doing it wrong because, because we have this kind of baggage, this history with how we're supposed to do it. And, and so here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with the command to actually tell others about Jesus, and it comes to us in Matthew 28, and uh, I'm going to begin with verses 16 and 17. This is what it says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Jesus rose from the dead, talked about that last week, happened, got out of the grave, hung out with his disciples. A whole bunch of people saw him. In my mind, it's undeniable proof. It's one of the reasons I'm a Christian that Jesus actually died and actually rose again. And, and then he's meeting with his disciples and he's like, hey, here's the deal. Meet me up on the mountain. We don't know which mountain, but meet me up on the mountain. We'll have a chit-chat there. And, and you can read that in, in Matthew 26, 33. And so they go up on to the mountain. In the kids' video today, they accidentally go on the wrong mountain like three times. It's kind of funny. Uh, and then they end up on the right mountain. Hopefully Jesus clarified. And they get up on the mountain and immediately, for the first time, for the first time, the disciples as a whole begin to worship Jesus. 
pretty cool, right? I mean, they, they didn't worship Jesus while he was alive. They loved Jesus. They followed Jesus. They placed their hope in Jesus. But once they experienced the joy of Jesus getting out of a grave, then immediately their first inkling is to just worship him, to fall down before him, to say, you're God. We get it now. We love you. We're passionate about you. You're great. You deserve all the honor. I don't. They worship him. But then there's this other weird line that I actually didn't know existed um, until studying for this sermon. And that is that some doubt it. That's weird, right? Like Jesus rose from the grave. He's on a mountain. He's able to go through walls. Why are these people doubting? If I could see Jesus, then I wouldn't doubt. And uh, it's interesting. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what it means. And, and, and there's really a couple of options. Um, option number one, the word for doubted can actually means, mean that they were hesitant. And so picture it, right? You've been following Jesus around for a long time. You haven't worshiped him. You see him as a man who's going to be a political leader. That's how they would have viewed him. And, and then all of a sudden he's out of the grave. He's on a mountain going through walls. And you're like, wait, how do I interact with this? How do I engage this person named Jesus? Do I fall down and worship him like I would the God in heaven? Or is it different? What do we do here? And, and we have a Bible, right? And so we kind of know what we ought to do with Jesus if we read that Bible. But they don't. It's like, oh, Jesus, hey, you're alive. What do we, how do we deal with this? And so one of the ideas is, is that they're hesitant. And you probably would have been too. I mean, I'll worship you, but I don't really get what this relationship looks like now. Uh, there's this other option that there were 500 people there in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. It actually tells us that 500 people at once saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. And it is possible uh, that while the 11 remaining disciples were there in front of Jesus and they knew him and they had seen him in back doors and they had worshiped, that, that there were you know, 489 other people that were kind of fringe disciples that had an idea about Jesus that are now seeing Jesus resurrected for the first time and they're like, is this real? But either way you take it, I see a connection to us. And if you take that first one that they're hesitant, then I see that a lot of us, even though we know and love Jesus, we are hesitant about certain things that he calls us to do and desires from us. Some of you are hesitant to sing, right? You come on a Sunday morning, I preached a whole sermon series on singing, and it's like, I'm hesitant to engage in that way. And, and some of you are hesitant uh, to, to be in church, and, and church is a hard place for you because you've been burned by a church before, you you have these, you know, difficult relation, relationally, you don't know if you'll fit in with church people and all that. And, and so church can be one of those things. And for some, a lot, if you're like me, what Jesus is about to say is something you're hesitant about. Like, tell people about me and what I've done for them. But, but the other part is, is, is this. If, if we take that as really meaning doubted and there's 500 people there, like, as Jesus is about to say, hey, hey, go and make disciples, that's what he's actually gonna say, tell people about me. If they're hesitant people, when Jesus is standing in front of them, having risen from the dead, undeniable truth, then there will be hesitant people, even if you do a perfect job, telling them about Jesus and all that he has done for them. You could do the absolute best possible job. You could be like, hey, here's Jesus. And they'll be like, hmm, maybe Jesus rose from the dead. And, and so I see this connection and here's, here's what Jesus is gonna say. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it's pretty famous. Therefore, and we're gonna talk about what he says right before that in a second. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now this part's famous. You've heard it before. This is the part that we fear. But it's a pretty clear statement that if I just can be honest with you, most of us are neglecting. It is said that 95% of Christians have never led another person to Jesus. They have never uh, told the story of Jesus and had somebody say, I believe it. 95%. And I'm going to guess that out of that five, or out of that 95%, excuse me, that, that about 94%, this is just a guess, I'm making this stat up on the fly, but 94% have actually probably not told anybody uh, about Jesus before. And, and you don't have to raise your hand, but you can just think about it right now. I mean, when's the last time that you expressed the story of Jesus to anybody? It's humbling, right? It's like the most convicting thing I could have said is just ask you a question because we don't do this. But here's Jesus giving some of his very, very, very last words. Think about that, because last words are genu generally important. Here's Jesus offering some of his very last words, and he says, go and make disciples. And we're like, well, I won't tell lies. You know, I mean, I'll just, I, I, I'll just kind of try to follow your other commands, but that command, I mean, come on, that's, that's too scary. Now, the first part, very important. I remember learning this in college and it was helpful. This word for go is actually better translated, the Greek word that translates to go, is actually better translated as having gone. It's a participle for those of you that understand language better than I do, but it's a participle. And here's what I remember from my Greek classes. When we saw a participle, it's because when you get to participles, you're near the end of the year, and so you've kind of checked out, if you're like me. I don't know if you're like that, but, but I'm kind of checked out, and so now we're doing participles, and the sun is starting to come out, and so it's like, what's the simplest way I can remember this? And the simplest way that I can remember what a participle did is to add ing to the end, I-N-G. And it's like, well, you know, I don't understand how all this works, but if it's a participle, and that's how, it's like, I'll just put I-N-G at the end, and that'll probably work out. And so here, the idea is that that as you're going into the world, you are to make disciples. Now, that's a big difference because how do we think of this? If you've been around a Christian circles a long time, then you're like, okay, the command is that I need to go to Africa and I don't wanna go to Africa and so I'm just not gonna tell anybody about Jesus ever. But what Jesus actually said is having gone or going into the world. Now that changes it because all of you go into the world every day. All of you leave your house, you go to work or to the store or to a movie, you go places. And what Jesus is saying is not that you need to go someplace across the world. Jesus is saying, as you go into the world, you need to make disciples. Now, what does it mean to make a disciple? That's simple, right? I mean, that just means that we make Christians, but I would like to point out that in our current culture, the idea of a Christian means a lot of different things to a lot of people. I have been recently amazed at how many people I see bashing Christians on social media when it still is 
pretty widely known that almost 80% of America declares themselves to be Christian. And all I can come up with is I kind of observed this trend that more people want to say bad things about Christians, but about the same amount of people call themselves Christians, is that there's a lot of people who are bashing Christians, but when they fill out forms, are saying Christian because they don't know what else to put. And when Jesus tells us to make disciples, and I say that's akin to making Christians, I'm not saying that it means they check some box. What I actually mean is that it, it means that we make followers of Jesus, people who are devoted to Jesus, people who are committed to doing all that Jesus has commanded them to do, as Jesus will say in a second. It means that we are supposed to, as we go into the world, lead people to declare, as I say almost every week in my sermons, that Jesus is both Lord of the world, that is that he is ruler of all that is to be fully obeyed, and he is Savior, the one who died for sins and then rose again. So Jesus, in one of the simpler passages, says, as you go into the world, here's your job. Lead people to believe that I am the Lord and Savior of all mankind. And it's scary. Isn't it scary? Isn't that like, what do I, I don't want to go to a movie and have to talk to the guy next to me about Jesus. I want to watch the movie, you know? I don't, I don't want to be in a restaurant and, and go like, oh no, I got to go talk to that guy that I don't know and he's just getting coffee and now I'm going to sit down and be like, hey, theology, and he's going to be like, no, I don't want to talk to you. you know, I don't want to do that. This is the command. And the command goes even further because once we lead people to Jesus, it says that we are to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And the idea there is not just that we, that we tell them what Jesus has said, but that we help them to live like Jesus. That we help each other who are Christians to live like Jesus. Not just, and this is how it used to be taught in the 80s and 90s, primarily in church history, if you kind of were to go back and you were to grow up in my era. We just wanted to get people to a point where they would stick their hand up on a church service and say, I became a Christian. And then we could write it down and say, look how many people we led to Jesus. And we never really cared if people ever came back to church again because we did the job. They were going to go to heaven someday. But that forgets, ha forgets half of the command of Jesus. Jesus says, Lead them to me, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is the same as leading them to Jesus because baptism is a symbol of becoming a Christian. When we go underneath the water, it symbolizes that we are connecting ourselves to the death of Jesus. When we rise out of the water, we are connecting ourselves to the new life of Jesus in his resurrection. And when we go into water at all, it reminds us of what Jesus done, and that is cleanse us from our sins because that's what water does. And so Jesus says, lead people to me, but then help people live just like I lived, doing everything that I've commanded. And this is the command that Jesus has left for us right as he was about to go into heaven. Now, a couple of, now, scary part, right? There it is. It's a command. And so just one thing this morning. I want you to get in your heads like I, if I'm a Christian, if you are a Christian, you are supposed to be doing this. And if you're not a Christian, sorry, we're supposed to be doing this. I mean, this is, we follow Jesus and we want to do all that Jesus has told us to do. And so this is a part of it. Uh, but there's these other two things that are very important. Uh, that Jesus says that surround this one scary command. And they're helpful. Now, I'm gonna point this out before I read them. They're not so helpful that I, I, that I have some kind of idea that we're all gonna walk out of here and the next person we see, we're just gonna tell them about Jesus. They're not that helpful, but they are helpful and they are foundational. 
They are foundational for what we are going to say over the next four weeks. What we're going to look at over the next four weeks is we explore what the whole Bible says about talking to people about Jesus. Then, then you have to have these things in your head because otherwise you won't have the courage to do it ever. Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In Ephesians 1, 19 through 21, it says this, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at, the right, at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In Hebrews 1, 3, it says it this way, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so what the Bible pretty emphatically declares is that Jesus is in heaven and everything is under his control. And when it comes to talking to people about Jesus, it's important for a couple of reasons. One, if he commands it and he is ultimate authority, then I should obey it. But even more, perhaps to the point of what Jesus is saying is this. As we think about the idea of talking to others about Jesus, it's a ton of pressure because we might mess up and we might not have the words to say it. We might be seen as people who are mean or jerks or whatever. And Jesus is saying, right before he says, he says, look, I am in ultimate control. This does not rest upon you. Isn't that important? Because we think like, I need to lead a person to Jesus. And what Jesus says is, tell people about me, but hey, by the way, I'm the one that is in control of this situation. I am the one who has ultimate power. This, this whole deal does not rest upon you. That's a big deal. It takes all the pressure off, really. I mean, we're gonna see that there's some ways that we should be doing these things that Jesus is telling us, but, but it takes the pressure off and it gives us this incredible encouragement in Matthew 16, 18 and 19. This is what Jesus says. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus says to Peter, hey, by the way, I am building my church upon you. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, build my church. Can you imagine if he would have said that to Peter? I mean, there's like 500-ish disciples and, and, and the task is like, hey, I want the whole world to know about me, go. He's like, well, we don't have a car, you know? And, and Jesus doesn't say that. He says, hey, hey, Peter, on you, I will build my church. And so one of the great things that I think Jesus does for us, one of the most important things he could have done is say, look, the authority rests on me, not on your ability to speak, not on your ability to have the answers, not on your skills at talking to people. It, it resides within me. And I like this in Romans 8, 28. It's, it's not really connected, but I think it's important to remember. Yeah, this, is what, this is what it says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so Jesus will work all things unto our good. That's what it says. And that doesn't matter if Jesus doesn't have ultimate authority. Because you walk up to your neighbor, you mess it all up. You go, I'm supposed to do this and da, 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 da. And then, and then you go, well, that, that 
was terrible and nothing good could have possibly come from that. But Jesus says, I have ultimate authority and I work all things for good. And so perhaps even in your flawed, terrible speech that you're trying to give somebody, even then, Jesus will work it for good. Isn't that important? Because when you think about talking to others, you think it's all gonna go bad. It's all gonna be terrible. If I address this guy on the airplane or on the elevator or whatever, it's going to be a terrible situation and God reminds us that he works all things for good. And, and that leads to a question that's important. Not, again, connected, but an important question. If Jesus is in charge of all things, how come all things don't just go perfectly? How come I can't walk up to my neighbor and go, Jesus, you know, and, and he goes, yeah, and then he starts crying while he's laying down. He's on the ground, and he's like, oh, I've always, I've been waiting for this moment when you would say Jesus to me, and, and, and it's because, and, and this is the hard part, this is why it's so scary to talk to people about Jesus, God doesn't take away people's free will. And so while God will work all things unto good, it doesn't mean that he's going to make your neighbor or your friend or your family member accept him. He is not somebody who forces his love upon anybody. He allows his love for everybody. And, and so I, I want you to understand that, that while God is ultimately in control, he doesn't always make things go perfectly because he wants us to all have free choice. And, and so that's what Jesus says before. He says, I have all authority. Therefore, because of that, because I'm in control, you go and make disciples, tell people about me. And then afterwards, Jesus says this, Matthew 28, 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In Hebrews 13, five and six, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? It's always great to have somebody stronger with you when you're scared. I was on the haunted house ride with my niece Leah who's right back there uh, and uh, she was younger then and so uh, so it was different and we're on the haunted house ride together and uh, it, it's a little scary at points you know she was four years old at the time uh, not the whopping age of almost six and and she never, my, my niece will not express fear to you. Um, she will show fear to you, but she won't express it to you ever. And so Leah was not going to turn and be like, Chad, I'm scared. Not going to happen. But as we would go around the corners and we were moving through the ride and things would pop out, I could feel a hand grabbing onto my shirt. Just every now and then, it would go down and then it would grab. And it would go down and it would grab. And all Leah was doing was checking to make sure that I had not left her alone in the dark with the ghosts, you know? She just wanted to know that I was with her. And Jesus says this very important, valuable thing. I'm with you. I'm with you until the very end. And what I'm calling you to do, I think Jesus would add this, is scary and difficult and it will feel like a very lonely process at times. And you might be so worried that you're going to mess it up or be seen as somebody who is just continuing the crusades and trying to shove your religion down somebody's throat. But just reach out and grab the back of my shirt because I haven't gone anywhere. You see, Jesus, I think, knows 
that to tell others about him, even though we have so much joy inside of us, and even though, and I'm telling you, if you ever led somebody to Jesus, you already know this, there is nothing greater in the world than the result. The process is still incredibly, incredibly scary. And Jesus says, it's not on you. I have ultimate authority and I'm gonna be right there with you. And so there's three things that I, that I just want from you. The first is this, if you're not a Christian, I'm just going to ask that you'll keep showing up here every week, and I know, I get that this is a weird kind of set up sermon for you uh, if you're not a Christian because you don't want to tell anybody about Jesus, and, uh, and I just ask that you keep coming because you're going to see the heart behind uh, what we do and what we try to do as Christians. And, and, and so just give us a second and a third and a fourth chance and, and just show up again and, and be here as, as we kind of talk about why and, uh, and how we are supposed to and why we want to share the gospel with everybody. I mean, why we, why we sing God take back this land, you know, because uh, it, it, when you see the heart and, and the way we're supposed to do it, it's not as ugly as sometimes it becomes. And, and if you're a Christian, there's, there's these two things that I, I really, really need from you as we go go through the next several weeks. The first is this. Make a decision. This is the easiest thing I've ever asked from you. Make a decision to want to be obedient to this command from Jesus. Make a decision to want to be obedient to it. Now, notice I'm not saying like, hey, today I need you to knock on five doors and I need you to go and say, here's the gospel and that's it. I'm just asking that you'll go, wait a minute, Jesus actually said that I, as I go into the world, am supposed to make disciples, and I am committing, this morning I am committing to wanting to be obedient to the command that Jesus has given to me. The other part is this, I want you to make a decision to pray to God and say, God, it's scary, Help me to understand how important it is that you have authority and that you are with me. And you can add to that prayer if you want. God, over the next seven weeks, as as we talk about this and we think about this, will you please, by your authority and your presence, will you begin to take away some of my fear? Because I believe if you'll start, this is what I think as we go through the series, if you'll start with a desire, simple desire, to be obedient to this concept that we are to go into the world and make disciples, if you'll just start with, God, I want that, but I'm scared, alleviate the fears, then I think, I believe, that in six weeks, seven weeks, maybe sooner for some of you, you won't be so scared to do the things that God has called you to anymore. And I believe that if we will be a church that takes seriously this command, then we will be a church that changes the world. Because what I know is that whether it was Mikey in San Diego or other people whose lives I've been able to um, engage with and share the gospel to, It's changed them, and it's changed them for the better. And there is not a single person that I've led to Jesus that would come here this morning and go, man, I wish Chad never would have done that. They will all tell you that they are so 
grateful that God touched their lives because I had not very much courage, but a little bit of courage to say, here's what I believe. I think you should believe it too. And so please, please, please just make a commitment. And I'm going to ask you to do that during our prayer this morning. I don't do this every week, but I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to that, uh, to, to want to be obedient to this command. And then take time this week and pray to God to help your fear diminish as you remember his authority and his presence. Uh, please bow your heads with me. Lord, I just, uh, I just pray, God, that, that we would be a church that desires to tell the whole world about you. Um, and, and we would be a church that is at least making efforts, God, to be faithful to this command that you have given us. And, um, and that only happens, Lord. I mean, I, I can say that and somebody else can say that, but to be a church that, that is serious about the Great Commission, as it's called, Lord, takes a lot of us. And, and, and so I pray that right now, God, as I ask these people to put up their hands and make that commitment that, that God, you would help them to do so. And so I'll ask, will you put up your hands if you'll commit to wanting to be, uh, to wanting to fulfill that command? Will you put your hands up? Leave them up for a second. Cool, cool. Can you, you can put them down. Lord, I pray that, that as we go through the next seven weeks that you would help us, uh, who are Christians, God, to become people who can fulfill that command, who do fulfill that command. But Lord, I pray that you would just impress that desire to actually be faithful to what you have called us to deeper and deeper into our hearts and souls and that God, we would, that we would care to lead a lost world to you. Lord, we love you. It's the only reason. It's because we love you because you first loved us. The only reason that we, that we want to tell people about you, Jesus, is because of our love for you. And so uh, I thank you for loving us first and for your incredible incredible grace. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.